Easier said than done, right? Worry raises our blood pressure, raises our cholesterol, causes headaches, back pain, increases stomach acid. Affects our skin, our respiratory system, our immune system, every system. It's estimated that related illnesses cost industry over $200 billion a year because of worry. The crazy thing is that being anxious, worrying, seems to be the most natural thing in the world. If we weren't worried about something, then we would really start worrying. Obviously, we're worried about the ramifications of this pandemic. We're worried about the sick. We're worried about what this means to our emotions and our mental health. We're worried about the economy and how this will affect our job or our potential job. We're worried about social issues and relationships and money and spiritual life and safety and politics and shortages. The list goes on. Arthur Rash said, worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which other thoughts are drained. Turns out that worry is a phenomenon that has been around for a while. The specifics of what we worry about has changed in the last 2,000 years since Jesus. But the root of worry has not. First century, Jesus climbs a hill above the Sea of Galilee, and his disciples and a few thousand other people gather around as he gives the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we focused on the part of the sermon where Jesus is talking about not making good things the ultimate thing, that in his words, where our treasure is, there our hearts are as well, our affections, our loyalties, our securities. That one thing, our ultimate thing, must be to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. So Jesus continues that conversation from a different angle with the command, don't worry about your life. This is Matthew chapter 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The root word for worry means to strangle. Our minds are occupied, are weighed down and consumed by this, this channel of what if. And the problem with what if is that it's not based in reality. It looks through the distorted lens of fear at what could possibly happen. Jesus said, instead of asking what if, we should ask, what about? What about the birds? What about the flowers? Examine carefully. There was a method of teaching by the Jewish rabbis that moved from lesser to greater. If God takes care of birds and flowers, how much more will he take care of you? How much more will he sustain this world? Food and clothes look a little different in our day and time. 
than they did in first century Palestine, where we have Walmart land and the one-click convenience of Amazon. But the premise is the same. Jesus is talking about essentials of life and existence and the essence of who we are. Our worry blinds us to what God is doing in creation and what he has done throughout history, but also what he is doing presently in our lives. And so Jesus reminds us, what about them? What about the birds? And what about the flowers? Look at them, watch them. Who of you, he says, by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Do you know that worry is a sin? I mean, it might be a more respectable sin than, say, murder or adultery, but sin is sin. The enemy's primary goal is to keep us away from God. That's the essence of sin. It doesn't matter much to Satan what form sin takes as long as it's taking our eyes off of God. One of the primary tools for that is fear and worry. Worry is what people do who don't trust God with their lives. Jesus says, you of little faith. He's, he's gathering with people on the side of the mountain who are believers. You have faith, but your faith is limited. So what about us? Paul wrote, you, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. That's the essence of the gospel. For a lot of us, we have faith in what God has done in his saving grace. We have faith in what God will do when Jesus returns and restores everything. But how much faith do we have for what God is doing in the present? What are the implications of God's promises of salvation, of his purposes, of his love right now? Faith extends to all areas of life, including today. Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One author said, today is the tomorrow we worried about yesterday. We worry about the possibilities. Mark Twain says, I've seen many troubles in my time, only half of which ever came true. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, worry has an active imagination. It is resourceful. We close the door on worry only to find that it goes down the street. Okay, I see how God is providing for me today, taking care of me today, but what about tomorrow? Jesus says, we'll have a daily quota of problems to solve. We have a day pack, right? Worrying about the future cripples the present. So this word from Paul in Ephesians is really pertinent. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, in his incomparably great power, for us who believe. So there is future hope. There's this inheritance on past promises, but there is incomparably great power now for those of us who believe now. So can we lay that over whatever we are worrying about? How does that affect our view of life? How does that affect our reactions to circumstances? Faith says, I'm going to take this situation and put it in the context of everything I know about God and believe about God and what the Word says about God and my own relationship about with God. All of it comes down to verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things will be given to you as well. Seek the Father. Know 
that he knows what we need. To have confidence in his ability to turn our eyes on Jesus and the stuff of earth grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and of his grace. We fix our eyes on Jesus and through him see everything else. Remember Peter when he got out of the boat? Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, I want to do that. Jesus says, come on. So he gets out of the boat and he's doing it. He's actually walking on water. But then there's a storm going on and he starts to see these huge waves and the lightning and he takes his eyes off of Jesus and puts it on everything else and he starts to sink. Jeff Walling says, fear has a weakness. It has no power unless we are looking in the direction it prescribes. We are commanded to take our eyes off of ourselves, our lives, our selfish anxiety over stuff. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. He says, let's give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into God's hand. And then when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. This verse in, a couple verses in Philippians have been so tremendous and just my three o'clock a.m. prayer says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't be anxious. Do pray. Prayer brings peace and confidence in God. Prayer has a way of changing us, and then God uses us to change the world. <laughs> Remember Moses? He was really excited about God's promises to bring the Israelites out of slavery into the land of freedom. Moses was less excited about God using Moses to bring the Israelites out of slavery. Moses did not expect to be the answer to his own prayer for the Hebrews. C.S. Lewis says, We are not necessarily doubting what, that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Philippians goes on, Paul says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we enter a time of communion, I mentioned earlier that there was this rabbinical style of teaching that moved from lesser to greater. Look at the birds, look at the flowers, now look at your life. But the rabbis also taught from greater to lesser. In fact, Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, since he God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added as well. We can fully trust the one who fully gave. In the words of 2 Peter, Everything you need for life and godliness has already been given to you in Christ Jesus. So, don't worry about your life. As we take communion together, can we lay down this scarcity-drenched worry and eat and drink from the table of God's abundant grace? We invite you to contemplate the verses on the screen as you take the bread and the cup together, representing the body and blood of Jesus.